So today, praise. You know, praise is a funny thing. The idea that we glorify God with our praise, that is, we witness to the glory of God through our behavior, that's pretty easy to understand. Right? What we do based on how we believe in God glorifies God, however we know God. But the connotation of the word brings up all sorts of other images. There's been a certain co-opting going on with the word praise by some. And sometimes it's connoted with a form of worship that maybe we're not all particularly comfortable with. Maybe it's just a little bit too different for us. Yet the truth is, praise God we do. All of us here probably at one time or another have said the words... Very good. Praise God. See? Thank you, Jesus, too. Okay, here we go. Call and response. I knew it wouldn't be long before it started. All right. Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? All right. And indeed, indeed, I praise God for all of you. Since I was called to Yahoo's Presbyterian Church and Neighborhood House... 1,279 days have passed. Yet the measure of our time together will not be in the number of days or hours, 30,696. <laughs> or minutes, 1,841,760. Or seconds, 110 million and counting. The measure, the measure will always be in the heart. It is in the heart and the cadence of our hearts that we have come together in love and service. Much like beat poetry, it occurs to me. You know, filled with free verse, often a little surrealistic. You may have heard me refer to days here as being in the Hotel California or perhaps perhaps on the set of the Rocky Horror Picture Show but mostly filled with its own spirituality and its rhythm that is distinctive and hard to miss. Worship, ministry, and mission have always reminded me of poetry, something which to me has always been written deeply in our hearts by God. Hard to ignore and sometimes hard to understand. Takes a few readings now and then. But there is an unmistakable beat to poetry and to God, I think. A deep beat that moves from within us. Paul uses it in his letter to the Corinthians this morning, and most likely he wasn't thinking of poetry or beat, but you can almost hear the rhythm. Got a little beat? The body is one, comprised of many parts. It was by one spirit, whether we are Jews or Greeks, slaves or citizens, all baptized in one body. Say amen. 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 Praise does that, you know. It brings it out, that deep God stuff. Deep human stuff. 
all created by God stuff. And it lets others know that it does that through our witness. In the inaugural poem she wrote and read for Barack Obama's inauguration in 2009, Elizabeth Alexander, on the front cover of the bulletin, portrays that as important as the election of President Obama was for the nation, for the forward motion of who we are, how we had determined to put the struggling, at least a dent, a deep dent into the struggling of prejudice and racism in this country and the violence that followed it. How reading her work makes it clear that it was we who elected this man. And in so voting, and so doing it in so voting from that core of the nation and who we said we were by the loudest of voices, we raised ourselves up. And we raised the level from which those who follow would do so. And if you think there was no spirit in that, then you didn't see any pictures of the mall in 2009 or in the convention centers around the country. You know, I sometimes wonder if we understand just how amazingly blessed we are in that in all we do each day and in the combined power of what we do in the smallest of ways, that these acts have tremendous impact for good or not so good. It seems that our gifts can be used in different ways with greatly different results. And in 1 Corinthians today, Paul makes that point. Now, he's trying to help the folks to see that the gifts that they have have been given to them by God. And they've been given to God as reason to help others, not elevate themselves, add to their egos, add to their positions, add to their assumed power and control as a result of having these gifts, as if the gifts they had had anything to do with them. Paul reminds us that they were given those gifts, not for them, but for the good of all, for the benefit of all, for the upbuilding of all. And it is the gifts of all combined that raise up those who need care, that raise up the least among us, and in the process, raise ourselves. And in so doing, praise God. Glorify God. Just as we do here. Every day, in and out. And maybe we don't believe that's true. 100%. Maybe we look at our day and give ourselves a report card each day that says, well, I didn't do so good today. And what gifts? I don't have any gifts. What are they talking about, gifts? What, what have I done to help? Well, if you read the Alexander poem again, maybe, maybe it will help you to see how even the smallest of ways, a hello, can be an incredible expression of a gift you have been given to see somebody else who others don't even notice. And maybe, maybe, after a little thought, and even after this time of parting, this will be seen as the gift we give to one another to listen to the way in which God's gifts sometimes 
call us to where we are or to where we need to go. Sometimes in, sometimes out, but always a call. And just as there is someone on their way here who has been called here by God through the council in this congregation, so too have you been called to this one. It is a sacred thing, you know, these calls. It's not one direction. Now, that's not Jabberwocky, and I don't know how to do that, so don't worry about it. That's not Jabberwocky, but it is true. It's how the Spirit works. As Nehemiah says, let no one be sad, for Yahweh is in your strength. And Yahweh's joy is in the gifts you have been given by Yahweh for others. When we accept that, when we can see that in others, we come to love others more easily. It just happens. It is not the years or the days or the hours that we have shared. It is the coming to know one another in ways that have glorified God to one another, whether that's what we called it or not. And that together we have carried the good news that God has given us to share, whether we call it that or not. And that we bring our hearts and our minds in service to others. We know here, and I bet you know too in other places, just how important welcoming as a practice is. Not some nice idea, but a practice. I once applied for a job. And the, um, actually I applied for a lot of jobs, but this one, the principal of the school said, what would you do to change the climate of the way people treat one another around here? It was a tough place. And I, I didn't know, and I stopped and I thought, and I said, well, I'd probably start by holding the door open for the person behind me. Hospitality is not as measurable as some marketers might like us to think. But practicing welcoming to each other, being kind to each other, welcoming God in each other, the namaste greeting, the spirit in me greets the spirit in you, namaste. That greeting, that is the practice and the praise that changes things for people. It changes perspective of how we see each other and ultimately how we see ourselves. I asked Christian to play Dulcinea this morning and just got him the music in the beginning. Dulcinea comes from the play The Man of La Mancha, which is one of my, if not my most favorite of plays that I saw in the 1960s when I was in high school studying Spanish. We went to the Anta Theater, my first Broadway show, the first theater in the round, if you remember that, to see The Man of La Mancha by Miguel Cervantes. And we walked in, and there was Richard Kiley. Well, we started out there down in that dungeon, you know, and the steps come down. But Richard Kiley and that amazing cast. I get goosebumps. And I, and I asked Christian to play from it today because Dulcinea reminds me of what can happen when we really see someone else in a different way. As you may know, Don Quixote, who was Alonzo Quijano, becomes so enthralled in the movie that he's, read, he's been reading all of these chivalric poems and these stories, and it's in the 1600s in Spain, and, and suddenly he decides, when there are no more knights, he decides he's going to be a knight. And he gets this makeshift armor, and he gets all these other things, and he says, oh my goodness, a knight needs a lady. Because you have to have a lady in waiting to go out and do your good deeds for. 
to go practice your justice in chivalry for. And so he finds Aldonza. Aldonza, who is a prostitute in the village. And he says to her, you are my lady. And she says, you are crazy. <laughs> and Alonso and Don Quixote, neither of them were easily dissuaded once their mind was sped, especially Don Quixote. And he says, no, you are my lady. And I will name you Dulcinea. And Dulcinea, you can get the root from Italian, Spanish, the Latin dulce, sweet, sweet one, one of sweetness. And his words to her, in the song he sings to her, in the words in the play that he writes, in the story that he writes, and sung in the play, they embarrass her and they touch her. They embarrass her because she says, that can't be me. Stop talking about me like this in front of other people. But deep inside, she longs for them to be true. Some of the words are this, he says to her, I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee or touched thee, but known thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song. Thou hast always been with me, though we have been always apart. And he ends with, now I've found thee, and the world shall know thy glory. You can imagine Alton's reaction. But who wouldn't want those to be true, those words? And by the end of the novel, she has come to believe in the goodness in herself because of the goodness this ranting knight sees in her. The beats of the heart. People change that in others, you know. It has been true for me. It has happened here. My heart will always beat differently as a result of having been here and having known you. And my measure of whether or not I have been in a place where I should be is in thinking, well, if I hadn't been there, could I possibly live my life without knowing these folks? And the answer to that is a resounding no. No, my life has been changed by you. And thank you. So the welcoming of the practice that is practiced by the congregation, by you, that welcoming, that hospitality, it takes many forms. But here's what I've heard here. Here's what I've seen here, whether in you, whether the folks that work here as part of the missions we have, the folks that bring their gifts to worship. Here's what I hear us say, that we see God in you. We may see it in different ways, but we see God in ourselves and in one another and in you. We cannot change the world and how it welcomes you. We can't, but we can change the way that you are welcomed and loved here. For we have been given much to share, and we mean to do so. No kidding. And you know, this is radical stuff. Maybe it doesn't sound that radical, but it is. The smallest of welcoming acts to the least among us, those things are always radical. The call to those who are empowered to give up some of their power, to distribute it to those who don't have a lot, that doesn't often go over too well. It is one of those reasons, one of the reasons that here, this place, this church, and all of its missions, ministries, and guests are such a radical place. We are radical. 
We are even disobedient when we need to be. Just so you know, there wouldn't be a United States of America if somebody hadn't disobeyed. That's how it works sometimes. Bring that to your classroom. Bring that up in history class, social studies. Sorry, Gary and Nancy. Didn't mean to, didn't mean to foment disobedience. And Luke gives us a glimpse of just how these challenges can cause such trouble and yet are still important enough to take such great risks. When Jesus enters a synagogue in Luke's gospel from this morning's reading, he pretty much got everyone turned against him by saying these very things. The Spirit of God is upon me. Now remember, he had just come from the ordeal in the desert from being tempted. He was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is upon me. He was exuberant and captivating. Luke says all eyes were fixed upon him. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Most High has anointed me to bring to you good news to those who are poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are captives, recovery of sight to those who are blind, and release. Are you getting all of this, folks, up there on the dais? Release to those who are in prison to proclaim the year of God's favor. He announced a year of the Jubilee that generally followed the seven times seven years and the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. He did it sort of on his own, says we're starting fresh here. Well, you can almost hear the hierarchy and all of those in charge of the temples and the synagogues and attendants, you can hear the, apople the apoplexy getting started there. What about us? We run this place. Well, they chased him out of town because of that. Using words, troublemaker, rabble-rouser, do-gooder, bleeding heart, you know the words. Since 1988 or, 1888 or so, Yonhus Presbyterian Church and Neighborhood House has carried on this tradition. This tradition that Jesus read from in that synagogue some 2,000 years ago. And it hasn't, you haven't, been chased out of town yet. In the seven or eight generations since this church was built to serve the immigrant community from Czechoslovakia, serving the newest, struggling, and often with the least among us, folks whose voices sounded foreign to most, they were given voice here. Folks whose culture and traditions were embedded in their gifts, they were shared here. Service to others in the name of the Bohemian Brethren Presbyterian Church, this church, brought them together and carried this congregation forward to today. A place that lives very much in the same beat of the heart that beat then, the same rhythm of the poetry that has always been sung and praised here, and that can be heard now and then in the howling of the wolf of Vincent Pisek that continues to haunt Yonhus Presbyterian Church and Neighborhood House. It is true. but you can still sleep here, it's okay. <laughs> in this place of which I have been privileged to be a part, to serve in such a place, to serve with you, you are, this is sacred. And it is now our job, has been mine, to now, to help prepare it for the next. And you will too, because you will follow and you will do what you do here to prepare it for the time when you will pass it on as well. This is how it always has been, always will be. 
And for that reason, I am proud and humbled to call myself a Hussite. One day at a time, our gifts and one another in loving service to others, because we are loved by God and loved into this place, carries on beyond anything we can imagine or see. The closing song today is also from the Man of La Mancha. It is the impossible dream. If I cry, it will be during that. For me, this church that went from the Bohemian Brethren Presbyterian Church to Jan Hus Presbyterian Church in Neighborhood House lives the dream that others think impossible. Too much work, too messy, too tiring, too, too, too. Well, you know, it's okay to feel that now and then. I certainly have. But it doesn't last too long because I'm never alone. And besides, it's not about me. It's about others. And that gets us out of ourselves more quickly than anything else we might do. So this song, more than any other, has assuaged my doubts many times about believing and trying to make a difference. And while it may sound corny to others, it is more than a song to me. It is poetry of life built upon the beat of the hearts that carry with them the beat of life's gifts in which we all share. The truth that we all make a difference because we have been given the power to do so, even with something as simple as hello. The words are as true today as then. To dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to love pure and chaste from afar, to try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star. This is my quest, to follow that star no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know, if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, that my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest. And the world will be better for this, that one man or woman, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with their last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. By the end of the play, Don Quixote is on his deathbed, in and out of dementia, being beaten up, worn out. And he's going in and out of consciousness, and when he comes out of it, he questions the craziness of which he had been a part. What have I done? What have I done? Funny thing, though, as he wavered a bit, those around him had been changed. Those around him began to remind him of his glory and to praise his dedication to chivalry and to the right and the justice. That is, those things that had changed them. And it turns out, I think, that the star he sought was always in those standing beside him. It turns out, in the end, that's where I think he always hoped to see it, from his dreams to Dulcinea.
And it is what I believe others look for in church today, what they look for in us. We do not worship the star that brought the Magi forward, but the one it pointed to, the one we lift in praise as love as we love one another and more. Yes, Nehemiah says it, go now and enjoy rich food and sweet drink and be certain that you send a share to those who cannot provide for themselves. For this day, every day, is holy to Yahweh. Let no one be sad, for Yahweh's joy is your strength. Yes, praise is a funny thing. It's no accident, though, that it is alive and well here. And we, too, will be alive and well, wherever we are, for we carry forward and share our gifts together in this broken, war, broken world into which we have been called to serve. I love you all. You know that, right? Yes. God bless you. And can I have a namaste? namaste.